Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Bible study. I want to let you know we'll be changing things up next week. We are going to introduce youth ministry on Wednesday night and children's ministries on Wednesday night. We're not going to be beaten by COVID. We're getting back to where we belong. And so just encourage you to invite uh, family and friends because it's for the whole family on Wednesday night. And so the poor kids won't have to sit in and listen to me, although they're awesome kids. I'm telling you what. Right there, Naraya, too. But um, different time, 630 Give folks a little time to go get dinner for the kids or whatever it may be. So, and that was our original time anyway. So we'll be back at that at 6.30. Have a guest speaker, the friend of Pastor Gary, that is going to bring us a message, kind of kick off the Wednesday night services again. So it's a Wednesday night service reboot. And we'll still have Bible study like I'm, I'm doing now. But we'll also have other ministries as well. So be ready for that next Wednesday. It should be a great time together. So open your Bibles with me, if you have them, to Galatians or your app or whatever it may be. And we're going to dive into our, our study. We're coming to the end here of our series, Stand Firm in Your Freedom. That's what Galatians is all about. It's about grace and standing firm in your freedom. And we talked about the harvest principle last time. Two universal spiritual principles. God cannot be mocked and a man reaps what he sows. Those always are true in life. And then three exhortations for doing good. Do not become weary in well-doing. Do not, or we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And we should take every opportunity to be good to all people, especially other Christians. The title of our study tonight is In Conclusion... Dot, dot, dot. Now, like many pastors... Paul has a few conclusions before he comes to the end of his sermon. And so if you ever hear a preacher say, in conclusion, then the ladies put on their shoes and people get ready. But you got to understand, preachers, that's just, a, that's just a, a thing they do to capture attention. You think, oh, great, it's over, finally. And then they go on for another 15 minutes, right? So like Paul, I won't finish the Bible study tonight. We'll have more than one conclusion. It'll be tonight, maybe one or two more. But this is how Paul closes off his letter to Galatians, chapter 6, verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Anybody can relate to that? You have to write with big letters. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Roman numeral one, Paul's signature. Capital letter A, 
The first part of the letter may have been dictated by a scribe. This is going to drive me crazy. My, my chair is wobbly. I'm going to be wobbling all night long, so that's all right. So many times Paul had a scribe, because sometimes, how many know he was in chains? He couldn't write because his hands were bound in chains. And so he would, he would speak and he would have a scribe. And that was an important job back in this day, because they didn't have copiers. They didn't have computers. Everything was copied by hand. And so a scribe was actually a very important person. And so capital letter B... However, Paul does use his handwriting to authenticate the letter as he did on other occasions. And so Paul would often dictate to a scribe, but at the end of the letter, he would write with his own hand so people knew it was Paul himself. It was legitimate. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, 21. I, Paul, write these greetings in my own hand. There's another example where he would, at the end of a letter, he would write Colossians 418, he did it again. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And finally, it's in other places, but 2 Thessalonians 317 says this. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is this distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. And again, there were a lot of false teaching going on at this time, and false letters. And so Paul wanted to make sure they knew this was coming from him, and he had a distinguishing handwriting style. Now, um, uh, one time I was, when I was working at a Bible college, you had, we had assigned seating, or assigned parking for our vehicles. And so, uh, because it was in a very dangerous area of town, you had to have reserved parking in certain places because if you parked on the street, your vehicle may not be there. And so I had a reserved parking space, but often some people would park in my spot. And then I'd have to go find a spot on the street or another non-reserved spot and then walk a long way back to our apartment building there on campus at, at the Bible College. And so one day, well, I wasn't having a very good day. And I pulled up, and sure enough, somebody is parked in my spot again. I said, well, that's it. I'm going to have to write a letter, write a note. So I wrote a note and just said, very bluntly, this is a reserved parking space. If you want one, go to housing and get your own. You know, that was in the love of Jesus. <laughs> and so I put it on the windshield. And so Jolene happened to be walking downstairs and he, she came across a woman who was the, the president of the college and she said uh, you know my husband got a, a note on his car a very terse note and I had told Jolene the story and so she's like oh no this is the wife of the president of the college and and she said that that might have been my husband she goes oh no it was very good handwriting it was a woman's handwriting which makes it even <laughs> even worse and so not only did I write a note on the president's car but they think I'd write like a woman I don't know which is more offensive so boy did I have to grovel and humble myself you know anytime I get in the flesh God usually lets me get caught you know and just so I so I'll learn not to get in the flesh so my handwriting looks like a girl 
if you wanted to know. I actually, I think, get my good handwriting from my dad. Um, he was a geologist, and he, he also in, in, in worked for the engineering department. He, I, I remember growing up how great my dad's handwriting is. I have a lot of my mom's Bible teaching that she did. She's an incredible Bible teacher, but I can barely read it. She writes in chicken scratch. She should have... She should have uh, dictated it to my father, who has, who has had great handwriting. So I must get it from him, and Jolene will never let me live that down. <laughs> I write like a girl. Okay, letter C. The large letters may indicate the theory that Paul had problems with his eyesight. Or it may have been to emphasize the points he was about to make. So he comments, look at my big letters. And so look at Galatians 4, 13 through 15. We, we studied this earlier, many months ago, maybe years ago, when we were back in Galatians 4. As you know, this is Paul speaking, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So that's a strange comment out of the blue unless they understood that Paul, Paul's reason, his illness probably had to do with his eyes. He may have had pink eye. He had, may have had some, some others. Some Bible scholars believe this was the thorn in Paul's side, the illness that he asked the Lord to take from him. Uh, a, a thorn from Satan, a tormenting spirit, uh, but we don't know. So that may have been why he used big letters because he had problems with his eyesight. So we see that Paul's signature was so distinguishing so they would know it was from him. Roman numeral two, let's look at Paul's final warning. So as he's about to sign off, in conclusion, watch out for the Judaizers. Remember the Judaizers, we've been studying all through Galatians, they believed in Jesus Christ, but you also had to follow, follow all the Jewish law, including circumcision. And so, which, you know, if somebody becomes a convert, you know, that's, that's a big sacrifice to go through if you're an adult. But, uh, um, and so the Judaizers believed in Christianity, but they wanted to force every Christian to be Jewish as well and follow the Jewish law. And Paul says, salvation is by grace, not by works. And so he, they were starting to drift away from the freedom they had in Jesus. And, they, and I've shared this before. Satan will either have you bound in sin or he'll have you bound in religion. He'll, he'll bind you one way or the other. But but our freedom is in Christ. And that means, and that doesn't mean we, we can do anything we want and we get away with it. No. Grace means we have power over sin. We don't have to be its servant. And so grace is, is liberating, but we don't want to be bound in sin and we don't want to be bound in legalism. We want to be free in Jesus Christ. And that's what the book of Galatians is all about. So Paul's summarizing it at one last time because he said, are you, are you giving up the faith that, that you received so quickly? And so capital letter A, the true reasons 
for the Judaizers' emphasis on circumcision. Why was this such a big deal? Number one, they wanted to impress people. It was all about, we're circumcised and you're not. And remember, circumcision was started by the Lord, but God's uh, desire for circumcision all along was that our hearts would be circumcised. How many know you can be physically circumcised, but your heart is far from God? And so the physical circumcision was supposed to illustrate the internal circumcision of our hearts. And so it, it has been that since the Old Testament. So the Judaizers wanted to impress people. Number two, they were fearful of persecution. They knew if they, they weren't circumcised, they would be persecuted for it. Number three, they wanted to boast about their own righteousness. They wanted to make it known how many people they had that were circumcised. And so it's, it's interesting. You remember, I grew up in the Southern Baptist denomination, and I'll I always remember the little sign on the front that said how many people we had last Sunday and how many people we had this Sunday and what the offering was. Remember those signs? So, and may, I'm not saying they're bad, but it was just kind of interesting. You know, we always, uh, and, and always emphasize numbers. And, and that can, that, that's not necessarily bad. All the, a lot of times in the Bible, they were numbered. You know, thousands came to Christ, you know, on the day of Pentecost. So there's not necessarily anything wrong with about counting how many people come to church. But if that controls you, there's a problem. And the Judaizers were controlled by that. It was all about the numbers game. How many people they could get back into bondage of legalism. Capital letter B, this is the warning for us. These three vices will always try to lure a believer into compromise. Number one, the praise of man. Remember the Pharisees? They loved the praise from man more than the praise that comes from God. Man, if, it feels good if people pat you on the back. You just got to realize the next time they may have a knife in their hand, right? It's amazing that we want the praise of man when it's so fickle. It can, they can say, Hosanna on one Sunday and crucify you on the next, right? And so, I, and, and there's nothing wrong with being encouraged. We, we all need affirmation. There's nothing wrong with that. That may be your love language. There's a difference between needing affirmation and needing the praise that comes from people. If that's what makes your life go because somebody said, attaboy, or man, you're awesome, you know, and then you, that will control you. And in fact, they will control you. Often if somebody that is needy of praise will latch on to somebody who, who loves to control. And so we need the freedom to not need the praise of people. What we need most is that God is pleased. And if we really seek that, the, the, that craving for the praise of man will subside. So that will lure us into compromise if we need the praise of man. Number two, the fear of man. Here's another controlling feature. If we're afraid of what, on the one hand, we, we want someone to praise us, but on the other hand, we're afraid of what people may think of us. And so that fear of man is a trap. That's what the Pro book of Proverbs says. Fear of man is a trap. It'll, it'll keep us bound. And number three, the pride of man. These three vices 
we always have to watch out for. The praise of man, the fear of man, and the pride of man. And there, it's something we have to guard our hearts on continually because we often don't know that the pride is there. And, and the Lord has to reveal it to us. Capital letter C. The ulterior motive for their overemphasis on circumcision was this. Number one, they wanted to boast about the numbers, as I mentioned earlier. What are some other ways people use numbers to boast in their life or in, or in the ministry or in the church? What, what's another way we can boast using numbers? Finance. Finance, okay. Yes, how many zeros are in our checkbook, you know? You know, it's not good unless there's a one in front of all those zeros. If it's just zeros, that's not good. But you're exactly right. We, we, can, show, we can boast in our wealth. Instead of, how many know our wealth, there's nothing wrong with wealth, but we should stay humble in our wealth. What's another way we can boast with numbers? In giving. Yes, the widow's might. Exactly. And what's interesting is the Pharisees would actually blow trumpets on the sidewalk before they would donate to a, a crippled person or something. And that's what Jesus nailed them. They loved the attention from man. But the widow's might, she gave two pennies, but it was all she had. I, I remember the first church I worked at many, many moons ago, on Sunday night testimony, remember Sunday night testimony? Those got dangerous, so we stopped them. Uh, because especially if you never, I, I'm t I want to tell you something. Doing this for 30-some years, I have heard things on testimony night that, oh my goodness, it's why we don't do it anymore. Uh, unless you pre-select those who, you, you know, that you know will give a good testimony. I could, I could, there are testimonies I can't even tell you because they're so crazy. But uh, at this first little church I worked at in Roma Land, California, bless God, we'd drive 60 miles from Costa Mesa on a Wednesday night to, to teach. That was my first ministry job. And this, on, on Sunday night testimony, I, inevitably this one lady would get up and she'd say, I just thank God I was able to put $100 in the offering to, today. And I'm thinking, well, that's it. You've received your reward. And that's what Jesus said of the Pharisees. So you're right, Jay. We can, we can boast in our giving. And that's why Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I mean, he wants us to be generous and, gra and gracious, but we, we shouldn't boast about it in any way. Number two, another motive for these Judaizers is they wanted to fit in with the culture. And so they compromise the grace of God. If you have to compromise the grace of God to fit into the culture, don't do it. It's too much of a compromise to give into the world. We, and you know what? We're not supposed to fit in the, into the world. The Bible says that come out from among them and be separate. You know, we should stand out from the rest of the world. And, and that, that can result in persecution. But we need to... The day is coming. We know this in the scriptures. The day is coming where Christians will give their life for the gospel. They won't be able to fit in because they will be called to compromise. This happened to the first century church. All they had to do 
was take a pinch of salt, throw it over their shoulder, and say, Caesar is God. Well, how many of you know if you're a Christian, you can't say that? And so that's why they were so persecuted and they were thrown to the lions because they would not say Caesar is God. Now, in Rome, how many of you know there are a bunch of Romans, Roman gods? They didn't care if you were a Christian as long as you would also worship Caesar. Well, every Christian knew that they couldn't do that. They could not worship Caesar, and so they were put to death. The other reason they were put to death is they were falsely accused of cannibalism because of communion. They were eating the body of our Lord and the blood of our Lord. And some spread a vicious rumor that, that Christians were cannibals. We know it was just eating bread and, and, and drinking wine at that time. So, again... The, if the first century church couldn't fit in, what makes me think the last century church will? You know, I, I do believe we're going to suffer persecution. I do believe, whether it's in the tribulation or before the tribulation, we are, it's going to be more and more difficult to, to fit in. Are you just amazed at the craziness going on in the, this world? And how, we're, how people are being silenced? just for having an opposing view. That used to be what freedom was all about, freedom of speech. But there are places right now that where, where Christian pastors are on trial for teaching the Bible, the morals of the Bible. And so we don't need to fit in. We want the grace of God. Letter A, most people can accept Jesus, but it's his sacrificial death on the cross and his bodily resurrection that they have the greatest difficulty accepting. You talk to most people, they, they, will, they will often say they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe he died or rose from the dead. And we cannot compromise those doctrines. There's some areas we can agree to disagree, but we cannot agree to disagree that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose physically rose from the dead the third day. We will not compromise those truths. Because that is the truth of the gospel. Letter B, most religions recognize Jesus as a teacher. It's his divinity they have a problem with. Now, as you know, uh, my, my children are in a Muslim nation as missionaries. And one of the things, the Muslims believe in Jesus. They call him Isa. They believe he's a prophet. They just do not believe he's the son of God. In fact, calling God father is an anathema to them. And it's very hard. They do not believe that God is a father or that he had a son. And so that's the sticking point for Muslims. They do believe in Jesus as a teacher and a prophet, but they do not believe he's the son of God. And so how many know that is critical, that we believe Jesus is the son of God? And so, uh, most religions recognize Jesus, but they take away his divinity, or they take away his humanity. And we know that Jesus is fully God and fully human, and we won't compromise those truths. There's nothing a person can do to earn their salvation, however. If it were possible, the cross would have been unnecessary. This is important for us to understand. Jesus paid the price. This is why Easter... Good Friday, I'm looking forward to our Good Friday service. We're going to have a time 
where we talk about the, the nail-pierced hands of Jesus. And by his stripes we are healed. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. And we're going to take time and, and write that on a note and put it at the foot of the cross before we take communion. It's, I think it's going to be a special time this Friday. I hope you'll join us. Letter C. The truth, this truth always humbles people. I want to, you know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, but let's read it from the Amplified Bible. For it is by free grace, which is God's unmerited favor, that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God. Not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is the result of what anyone can possibly do, so no one can pride himself in it or take glory to himself. For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship. I like the, the New Living Translation calls, we are his masterpiece, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned before him, for us taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life, which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. How many know Jesus came to give us abundant life? The good life. Doesn't mean we won't have trials and persecutions. He said that. But we, even in the midst of trials or tribulations, our life can be abundant. It can be full. It can be thriving. And so number three, may our only boast be in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. Let us not boast in ourselves. There's, there's nothing we can do in ourselves. But let us boast in Jesus. So how, what does that mean? How do we boast in the cross of Christ? What does that mean? Anybody? What does that mean to boast in the cross of Christ? Yes, to boast in what Jesus has done for us. What else? Think about that. If, if we're supposed to boast in the cross, how do we do that? Okay, share that with other people. Exactly. What else? What do we do when we boast in something? We speak of its greatness, right? Whether it's us <laughs> or our football team. I don't think the Seahawks are going to be very good this year. Bless God. So I won't have any room to boast. But all, all that has said is accurate. We boast in the cross. We, we say how great it is. It's the greatest gift of humanity. We are not ashamed of the gospel. I mean, it is amazing that Jesus took an instrument of execution and turned it into something glorious. He took the cross, it was, it was the worst form of execution, and Jesus, because he died on that cross, turned it into a symbol of love and mercy and grace. That's incredible. 
And so we're not ashamed of the cross. But it's a mystery to people who don't understand Christianity, our attachment to the cross. Now, we don't worship the cross, but we worship the one who was on it. And, we don't, and he's no longer on the cross, as we see in, you know, in, in many other places where Jesus is still on the cross. His crucifixion is critical, but his resurrection is as well. It's not enough that Jesus just died. He conquered death, hell, and the grave by rising from the dead. Number four, through the death of Jesus, the world in us has been crucified. And we have been crucified to the world. There's so much the Bible teaches about us carrying our own cross. In this life, we all carry a cross. And that is just what this, that's what it means to follow Jesus, is to carry our own cross. And sometimes it's like the Apostle Paul, it's a thorn in our side. It's a, it's a torment. There are, there are things God delivers us from and heals us from, but we will all carry a cross of some sort to remind us that the flesh is crucified. We, we will never be sinless in this life, but we will be in the life to come. And so we need that cross. Every day we bear that cross, not literally, but spiritually, emotionally, we, and mentally we remember the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we are in this holy season, I pray that you would make us mindful of the cost that you were willing to pay so we could be free. We are not ashamed. We love the old rugged cross. And Lord, I just pray that you would draw people to you during this season like never before. God, it seems like COVID hasn't wakened people up. But Lord, I pray that many would come to you in, in our church on Sunday and Friday, in other churches in Bakersfield and around the world that lift up the name of Jesus, that believe in his crucifixion and his resurrection. And so Lord, I pray you would fill this house and may we see many salvations because it's all about the cross. It's all about Jesus, the Son of God. And we are not ashamed to proclaim that. Lord, bring revival in our day. Bring a renewal, a great awakening. We are, we are not ashamed of the cross. But Lord, we embrace it as Paul embraced it. And Jesus, as you embraced it and carried it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So remember... Good Friday service at 12.15, lunchtime. We have our Easter service at 9 o'clock is fellowship. 10.30 is the actual service. So we hope to see you Friday and Sunday. It's going to be a great weekend. God bless. Thank you for joining us today. Our worship service begins at 10.30 every Sunday. You can join us in person or online. We broadcast live on both Facebook and YouTube. We would love for you to join us and be our guest this Sunday. Our address is 4901 California Avenue, Bakersfield, California. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.